This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Plaza Cable. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 73. Today's guest is an award-winning writer, producer, TV and radio host, Andy Cowan. He was a writer and script consultant on Seinfeld for more than 20 episodes in 1994-95, and he wrote the season five masterpiece, The Opposite. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram. Thanks again. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 73, Andy Cowan. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans this is episode 73. Today's guest is an award-winning writer, producer, and TV and radio host. He published a memoir, Banging My Head Against the Wall, A Comedy Writer's Guide to Seeing Stars. He's worked on Third Rock from the Sun, The Pat Sajak Show, The Merv Griffin Show, and Cheers. And of course, he was a writer and program and script consultant on Seinfeld for more than 20 episodes in 1994 and 95, including writing one of the greatest episodes in television history, The Opposite. Please welcome Andy Cowan. Andy, thanks for joining. Uh, thank you for having me and thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. <laughs> Just practice it for a little <laughs> while before you uh, came on. <laughs> we did our homework, Andy. And listen, the, the book is fantastic. So make sure you guys go out there and buy it and the, the best line of the book that kind of captured me was what you said um, about Seinfeld. You said the chemistry among the principles and natural rhythms in those early years of the show were electrifying to me. So Absolutely. take us back 1992. That's when it all began, where you started pitching Larry. Tell us how that whole process came about. Yeah, uh, I had a manager at the time, uh, Tracy Columbus, who uh, knew Larry and she enabled uh, me to um, uh, begin a faxing uh, regimen with him. Uh, dates me right there, fax. <laughs> and uh, I would fax uh, ideas left and right to him. And, um, uh, you know, he was a tough cookie, but uh, he was receptive to uh, various uh, pitches uh, to some degree, but never to uh, the extent where uh, he'd say, go off and write it just yet. But uh, uh, one early one I've talked about before I talk about in the book uh, that he liked was... Uh, um, the Lost Bra, where uh, yeah. George uh, discovers a huge lost bra in the dryer in the laundromat, and he looks at it as his glass slipper. I mean, if he meets the woman, this bra fits. Uh, <laughs> all bets are off. So, uh, uh, and of course, uh, Kramer disabuses him of uh, this. Uh, oh, of course, it's a grandmother's bra. Look at the lace on there. Uh, so, uh, it was an interesting story of uh, imagining uh, who it was and then uh, fearing it was an, an older woman. But anyway, he ultimately said, well, we're going to do a bra story this season, which I don't believe was the man's ear. I think it was something else. But he says he got a salesman. Else. It was when George was a bra salesman, probably. It, 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 maybe that was. Now, was that the same as the man's ear? Was that a separate one? That was a separate one. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah you, you guys know better than uh, any of us. Uh, so. Um, so as a last ditch effort, 
I tossed him a, an idea I always thought about myself that I should have done the complete opposite of whatever I've done up till now. And I would have been better off. And I, and I pitched him this thing and right away he took a shine to it. And um, he uh, had me go off and write other stories before approving them ultimately enough to go off and write a, a first draft, which I did. And, uh, and it was finished uh, the day of uh, the Northridge earthquake, uh, the morning of. And uh, if I had dotted a few more eyes a little later in the day, a bookshelf would have toppled all over me. All hell broke loose. The Seinfeld set was uh, uh, put into mothballs for a while. And uh, anyway, by the time he finally got it, you know, he, he, he really liked the writing. And uh, basically it was, uh, I'll take it from here. And then when he kind of reported somewhat sheepishly after the table read that it got a really good response, but he and Jerry were, were gonna be taking credits. You know, I wasn't too upset. I was still thrilled that it was gonna be made and I was sharing it with those guys of all people. And um, it wound up uh, the finale of uh, that season. And I, uh, you know, came in as a guest writer. And of course it was drastically changed as uh, you know, scripts are, and especially on that show, Jerry and Larry would take everybody's and, and, and rework it. But you know, the main hook, the opposite, George is uh, you know, bemoaning his uh, station in life and then approaching that woman in the, in the restaurant. Uh, that, that, you know, I provided that launching pad and, and he was very kind about uh, how I uh, executed that setup. And, but I still was not able to get on staff. My, you know, I was drooling to get on staff uh, because um, it was late in the, I think it was, yeah, it was late in the season or no, no, it wasn't late yet. But anyway, I, I joined up with uh, Diane English's uh, show, Double Rush. And uh, I finally broke that contract when they agreed that I could be on staff of Seinfeld, which was such a thrill. And I tell that story in the book, <laughs> how Larry kind of uh, uh, said, well, what if there isn't money? What if Castle Rock doesn't have enough money? And this was after the dominoes had already fallen and I'd already broken the contract with Diane, which I was nervous about because uh, you heard rumors that she was you know, tough about that, but she could have been, couldn't have been more gracious. And then I said, Larry, I already told her the dominoes have fallen. And then you hear that unmistakable Larry David laugh. <laughs> I can't do it now, but uh, he, he was, he was uh, goofing on me a little bit, but ah, what a thrill. To, to wind up on that show. However short-lived, and I talk about those frustrations in the book, it was I wrote my ass off in terms of uh, pitches and stories. And uh, readers can see in the book uh, a whole slew of uh, pitches that never wound up on the air. It's almost like a reboot of Seinfeld. You can see these new episodes, as it were. <laughs> So the earth that so the earthquake was was ninety four so, and you were yeah. pitching since ninety two. I mean, you know, you hear about it. Jerry talks about it, such a close knit group. Like I know you were faxing, but did you literally just fax that opposite idea? And he came back and said, "Let's let's work no, on this." No, no. Uh, and it's funny. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't recall whether it was ninety two or ninety three. Maybe it was ninety two, late ninety two. But uh, I would have phone conversations with Larry and. Uh, that last go around with the bra when he, you know, he kept saying he liked it, but then even said he liked it when I got over there. Uh, and, but he said, uh, you got anything else? That was on the phone. And I literally pitched him this last ditch idea on the phone. And that's, I could tell right away. He, he took to it and he, you know, 
he he uh, did not suffer fools. You know, he 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 would let you know when he didn't like something, and right away, you know, I got the sense, well, maybe God, maybe there's something here, and yeah. So I, but it, it took a lot of noodling to get to the point where he greenlit the thing, and then yeah, the fact that it was a finale, he had a change a lot of things, tie up loose ends, give a reason for George to leave uh, his apartment, mm. which uh, wound up via the opposite into uh, uh, the job with the Yankees. So, uh, um, you know, I wasn't privy to all that. My, my opposite, and they could, readers can read the, uh, the extent of the opposite in the book, what, what my turns were. And they can also go on YouTube and see a little uh, sampling of me with Jason Alexander yes. in a talk show pilot I hosted <laughs> in 2010, where uh, Castle Rock gave me permission to reenact scenes from my first draft of The Opposite. I playing uh, uh, Jerry and George and Jason playing George, a writer's dream yes. to perform the first draft. Very cool. Yeah, we checked it out beforehand, <laughs> obviously. Very cool. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned, so after season five, the, you know, the opposite was the season finale. So now you're brought on in season six. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, obviously the book has a lot of these ideas that maybe didn't make it on the show, but can you kind of talk about what, what I know from what we've gathered, you know, Seinfeld doesn't have your typical writer's room, right? So, um, and Larry and Jerry pretty much touch every script at some point. But can you kind of take us through what it is like? I mean, when you when you have these ideas, are you bringing them just straight to Larry? Is there are you in a room with all the other writers? Are you guys pitching one pitches in the lane idea? I mean, are they taking someone's George idea and someone else's a lane idea and putting them? I mean, kind of just uh, on, yeah. a, on a general sense, maybe or if you have specific examples of sort of how the writing went throughout season six when you were there. Yeah, well, it, it certainly was a unique situation in more ways than one because I started late, which is one of the reasons even Larry mentioned that it was ultimately, you know, challenging for me to get stuff on, on the air. But uh, uh, I was, they didn't even have room for me in the building where the writers were. So this was perfect for me. I had my own dressing room office, my own bathroom, uh, guest stars outside my dressing room, their name, plates would change every week. Florence Henderson for all these other sitcoms on the lot. And there I am just writing away, no distractions because I hate table writing. I always have uh, hated writing by committee. And when I was there, it wasn't written uh, uh, over on the at the table. It was independently pitched uh, to uh, Larry and, and Jerry, sometimes Jerry, you know, on the fly. What about this? What about this? Uh, oftentimes Larry. And, um, you know, when there were enough stories that he approved of, he, he'd send you off to write it. Uh, and there was one time that I and another writer there, Sam Cass, uh, were assigned to work on a, an independent script that came in uh, that wound up uh, being the ass man. I forget whether that was the title of the, of the episode or not. But a few silly was, Jerry? Uh, oh, yes. Area. yes, that was actually one of my meager contributions while there. I, <laughs> I remember uh, uh, Larry, I think it was Larry, yeah, asking what could conceivably wind up a person's rectum. Uh, and I said, what about uncooked pasta? <laughs> it, it wasn't a direct, but it was ultimately into that, you know, suggestion. And screw. Yeah, yeah. And it wound up... Uh, <laughs> A one in a million moment, uh, the Fusilli Jerry. But uh, 
but yeah, it was kind of on the fly and, um, uh, you know, and other writers had relationships with him that I didn't. Uh, I was the first writer to, to land over there who, net, who did have sitcom experience and who didn't know Larry in a prior life, I believe. So uh, that was kind of uh, challenging too. But uh, uh, I don't know if I answered any part of your question. There. No, you, I mean, you, you're giving us an idea. You know, it, it sounds like it's really just, you, you're just going at Larry with your best ideas. And if he picks it, then you go and write the script, basically, it sounds like almost, right? And then, and then they kind of tinker well, it, with I mean, it when they need to. Yeah, if, if, you know, if he went with enough of the stories to, to have you write it for a script, which, which I wound up doing, uh, various uh, uh, versions of um, stories, uh, including some that he liked, and then I'd repurpose them in another script with a few other new stories. But, you know, it was frustrating. Ultimately, they didn't get on the air. Uh, and um, he even said to me, well, I'm sure you look at what's on the air and think uh, my stuff's just as good. And, and, and I <laughs> nodded. And uh, it, 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 it you know, it, yeah, but you're you're on, you know, you're there, you're on the team. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And it's the greatest show in the history of, of television, most you know, in most people's opinions. And you're there at the prime. So I mean, a, not getting not getting on there, it's like, you know, I don't know, you're batting ninth on an all-star team, it's not so yeah. bad, you know, like it was a thrill. But you know, it took you know, it, it, I licked my wounds afterwards, but it, it's taken me uh it took me a number of years, especially as I got involved in so many other creative projects after that, uh, including this current one that I want to mention before we leave, uh, that, it's, that it's so fulfilling and such a reminder of what I am capable of and what I've learned over so many years. And, you know, just reflecting uh, with a fresh mindset on the stuff I uh, churned out back then. You know, I'm proud of it all. The fact it didn't land is, is just it's not it's not uh you know dependent on the quality or the effort involved in fact as i point out in the book speaking of the opposite one time larry said stop working so hard <laughs> speaking of the Sometimes opposite that's what it takes right just let it come easy so <laughs> so spe speaking of the opposite andy and i, I want to hop back to season six in a second but yeah. for our money you know i almost look as look at the opposite as the finale i mean for me that was the peak of the show and the show kind of shifted after that. Right. Tom Sharon has left. Uh, Larry Charles left. I mean, you, you just, you put, to, you, you know, put together a masterpiece, quite frankly, at least uh, thematically the whole, the whole sense well, of it. I know they kind of rewrote a lot. But, yeah. They, 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 they but, put together a great thing, but I, you know, I, I love yeah, the hook. I love the setup it, and I, I love my first draft and I got a lot of work based on that first draft. Right. The first draft is great. It just, it, it just, it culminated a whole uh, five seasons and it, it couldn't like, you just wrapped it up perfectly. So I'd be super proud of that. I mean, what, what's your take? Clearly you're a fan. And I, and I opened up with that line you wrote in the book about the early years of the show being electrifying. Yeah. So we see the show as kind of years, you know, one or two through five, as just like the Mount Rushmore of shows. And then from yeah. there, um, Still a great show, but a different show. A little quirky, absolutely, absolutely, cartoonish. Yes. Did you did you feel that as too when uh, when you moved from season five to season six, and then obviously you watch it later throughout? Uh, I I I felt little hints at it, uh, and I do uh, recall missing somewhat the energy and the focus. It's so interesting watching those early shows. 
I mean, you fall in love with hanging out with these characters. They seem real. They seem like you're cool, funny, somewhat sarcastic, but still human friends that you want to spend time with. And it's so funny, early Jerry would have dissed a character who showed up drugging his girlfriend so that he could play with her toys. Yeah. But that's that's who later Jerry became. I mean, it became such a weird, manic, uh, uh, Rube Goldberg contraption of A leads to B leads to C leads to D events when the early episodes breathed. There yes. were quiet moments. That's when the show was known as the show about nothing, which it really never was. But, you know, when they'd say, Snapple, no. I mean, little minor moments. Yeah, and, and, too fruity, and, yeah. <laughs> and George was so, you know, later on, but in the beginning, yeah. he, he was such a mild-mannered, even admitted uh, on, on my talk show pilot that he was doing uh, Woody Allen early on, which is a whole other story these days. Yeah. But uh, when he was concerned about uh, causing the um, busboy to lose his job. Oh, do, do, do you think? Do you think that was because of me? And, and he's so meek and mild, and he goes to the guy's house. And it, later, George would never have acted that way. And, and, and also, <laughs> Elaine was such a effervescent, youthful, uh, charming. I mean, as delightful as Julia Louis Dreyfus and her performances always were till the bitter end. She became a brittle, almost in certain places, non-caring, sarcastic, you know, to the degree where the finale really thumbed its nose at all the people who, who loved these characters and missed, you know, they were going to miss them. And I don't think they got a proper send off because the characters were sitting kind of as supporting players watching these bit players from throughout the year show up and you know lambast them and they they hardly even had a comment about it it just it didn't seem grounded in the reality and the humane neurotic angst that the early episodes were that endeared me so andy much. you must be listening to this podcast because yeah your your sentiments are you couldn't have said it better that, we couldn't have said it better you hit on you hit on two and I'm just curious, like how, where to put your finger on this, right? The George stuff, Elaine, hundred percent. They shifted more than anyone. Um, what was the? I don't want to say decline, but the change. Was it Larry David leaving? Tom Sharonis? Was it the actors just getting sick of playing the same type of person? Could you could you put your finger on that? Uh, being a part of the show? Uh, not so. Much, just sort of instinctively, not so much as being a part of the show. Uh, you know, the, the shows always evolve, obviously. Um, uh, certainly when Jerry took over, uh, the show t took on a more uh, surreal tone. Uh, you know, there were, there were some cool episodes. I think, I think the Merv Griffin show, <laughs> speaking of my right, show, right. his gig, was, was uh, an episode when Jerry was running it, I believe. I could be wrong about that. But uh, so, I mean, there were, there were interesting ones. He, it's funny, it's in conjunction with the odd uh, guitar riffs. The odder the guitar riffs became as the seasons progressed, <laughs> the weirder the show became. Uh, it, it became, let's, let's, I mean, Larry always was staunchly behind, we can't do anything that smacks of whatever anybody else has done. But I think they, they 
pushed that so in the latter years to the degree where they may have lost connection with what grounded it early on. Uh, so it did become this cartoonish, sometimes they, they became more childlike in a weird way. Yeah, that's exactly right. I agree. Yeah, I mean, Jerry, Jerry talks about, I mean, uh, J- Jason Alexander talks about it uh, in a Charlie Rose interview where he says, you know, Jerry, Jerry loved Abbott and Costello. And after Larry left, Jerry kind of went in that direction and also mentioned that the writing staff was a lot younger in the later seasons. And they didn't have, they were writing kind of from afar about George where Larry was, you know, and then the older staff that was there right. earlier was writing, you know, as George more. And they had that bitterness or that, that different, uh, perspective that, i guess yeah that's um, a very interesting point yeah w- would you say i mean it sounds like it but i'll let you tell us it was george your, your favorite character to to kind of come up with stories for absolutely yeah. I, I mean i related with him the most i, I remember i think uh uh alec berg had even mentioned that he had difficulty writing for george or wasn't the easiest character for him and uh to me you know just the, the the little man trying to make it, it was spoke <laughs> so much to me. Uh, and, and even Larry said, of all people, you are George. He said that to me. And, and, and George was supposed to be Larry. Uh, so uh, speaking of, the, of, of Larry, sorry to interrupt. How yeah. what 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 was it? What was did he? I, I'm, I'm assuming he didn't have like meetings with the, with the writing staff, but did he have these sort of um, you know, general, like you just mentioned some of them, was there like a general sense of like, here's, here's what we don't want. Like, don't even try and bring this to me. And here's what we do want. Or is he more just like, you know, you know, you guys know these characters come up with stories. If they're funny, we'll use them. Or was he, did he sort of have rules almost that you guys had to like have in the back of your mind or were they just more unspoken because you knew the show so well? I think it was more of the latter, but, but uh, I mean, you knew going in that, uh, story. It was all about story. The jokes weren't that important to him. They can always be handled later. Uh, it was the story, and and he had to buy the story, um, and it had to be unlike any other story. Uh, I, I had a pitch um, that uh, got close actually to, to getting on the air, and then some writer that will go unmentioned <laughs> mentioned that uh, another sitcom. Uh, on the lot or on the lot, or I think it was a Drew Carey show, was doing a show about names. That was it. That was the beginning and end of the similarity. This was my episode was about um, uh, George meeting a girl named Jerry, J-E-R-R-I. And he, you know, he couldn't even utter the name without all kinds of problems. So he, he discovers a way around it when he realizes through the mention of Gigi, uh, the musical from 50, that he could say Jerry and it true it would sound like a speech impediment but if he sound if he if he made every word that began with a G or a J je, he, he could get by that speech so every uh honey pass the jello you know everything je, 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 je. anyway that was part of the story and that got to real because to his arm. yeah oh oh yeah, it's similar to to his arm lie, he had to lie that he could always do this. Then he just kept doing that when he bumped his elbow with Lloyd Braun. But uh, anyway. Oh, yeah, that was later. Yeah. And it was also kind of um, uh, thematically somewhat similar later on when. Uh, uh, he dated the woman that looked like Jerry. Looked like Jerry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Rick uh, Nelson's uh, granddaughter, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but um, anyway, I mentioned that because 
again, oh, if it, it smacked of anything that anybody else was doing, forget it. Um, which, which, you know, I always uh, kept in, in my mind uh, when I was coming up with stuff. So just back to kind of Larry and Jerry, you mentioned in the book how impressed you were by Jerry and his kind of calmness, if you will. Yeah. About, you know, he's on the number one hit show, but he just, he kind of remains steady. And we always talk about it, him as a character. We mentioned Elaine and George kind of falling off. Jerry, for the most part, stayed in character and remained steady throughout. And Larry was kind of that East Coast neurotic, like like yourself, a Philly guy. Um, but clearly those two worked great together, right? I mean, but your, your dealings, I know you, you knew Jerry a little bit from the Merv Griffin stuff, but did you have as much interaction with Jerry as you did with Larry or any stories you could touch on with Jerry about pitching ideas? Uh, I didn't have a, as, as, no, I didn't have as many interactions with him, but I, I, I do remember some encounters. I, I first came upon him when I was doing stand-up in 1980, and he mm. was this unknown comic who came on the scene and he blew me away. And then years later, the Merv Griffith Show, and then, of course, years later, Seinfeld. But um, I do remember making him laugh once when <laughs> uh, Bruce Kirschbaum, a uh, friend of mine and a funny writer on the show, uh, uh, mentioned something about uh, you up the odds of getting something approved if the storyline involves either food or clothing. Uh, and then, and then I, I pitched something, uh, oh, what about a story about edible underwear? And, and, and then Jerry laughed out loud. I remember, oh, I mean, what a badge of honor to get Jerry Seinfeld to laugh. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah. I mean, Larry does one with that in Curb, edible underwear later on. Oh, on that's Curb. right. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, huh, that is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, of course, my other badge of honor was uh, doing sharing 30 seconds of screen time with Julia Louis-Dreyfus as the voice of the DJ and the mom and pop star. Yes. Pop star. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I was I was thinking um, when uh, you were talking, I mean, I don't want to I know, you know, you had a the, your time there. It sounds like you have there's some things about it you didn't love, but yeah, you know, that's 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 the nature of it. But I don't want you to say I love being there. Say. Okay, perfect. There. And I was a kid in the candy shop who couldn't quite taste the candy. So then I'm curious, you know, what what writers, um, you know, were you kind of like, wow, when you were with them and you saw the how they worked and their 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 episodes got on or their ideas came out, like just being like how like I'm sure you learned. And like you mentioned earlier, and we'll get to what, what, you're, what you're doing now and things, but like you had to have learned so much as being on that show around these talented people. So I'm curious, like, you know, who were some of your favorite, um, you know, writers that, that were kind of on the show and what they came, even when you weren't there or when you were there, I guess, really? Uh, well, um, I mean, early on, whenever I would see Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, ah, this is going to be a winner or just Larry David. And, and, it, to this day, I mean, I've been watching them uh, lately just to catch up uh, in advance of your show. And when you see it's just written by Larry, I mean, you can hear his voice and it's so yeah. funny, uh, so great. So, I mean, I admired them obviously the most. Um, and, uh, you know, Peter Melman had some great scripts uh, uh, yep. early on. Um, and uh, let me think who else? was on this day. Larry Charles, of course. Oh, Larry Charles always had that uh, dark underbelly. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, always. Oh, yeah. Always so, interesting to, to, so, to watch his stuff. 
in so in the book, um, Andy, you mentioned that uh, obviously it was season six. Actually, let's go back to the opposite. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. So you uh, like how long was that process? I know you submitted. They did the table read, but you also mentioned that he asked you to do the voice of Steinbrenner. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually have that on YouTube. Uh, can we? Uh, he, can you do a little Steinbrenner for us? We have a big. Uh, Yankee fan base here. You know what? While we're talking, let's see if this is going to work. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to call it up and see because this is the you're about to hear the actual audition I did for that role because Larry suggested I do it. So you're good with voices, whatever. And then, of course, ultimately, Jerry said, you do the voice to, to Larry, which <laughs> and of course, he made it his own. It was fantastic. But uh, I, 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 you know, I, I've done a lot of uh, uh, mimicry over the years. And uh, so I really studied his voice, but let's see, let me see. Well, you were a great DJ with, uh, with the lane. <laughs> oh, that was exciting. That was exciting. All right, here we go. This is it. All right. But the money's not going to her. It's for her family until the fish start fighting again. You know, I wait, 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 here, here we go. But the money's not going to her. It's for her family until the fish start fighting again. You know, I made my money in shipbuilding, so I know a little bit about the fishing business, my friend. And let me tell you something. When those little babies aren't fighting, there's nothing you can do about it. And all the money in the world doesn't make a difference. And it's too bad about the mother, too. I can understand her disposition being affected by the loss of family income. Naturally, she would take it out on the customers. God knows the New York press, they give me the business sometimes. I'm all right, that's it. Wow. That was really good Steinbrenner. Oh, you know, yeah, like that, the Cleveland yeah, accent. You definitely had it down. <laughs> was that a oh script my God, or you that just live in that, that stuff? What a gig that would have been. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounded like Steinbrenner, man. I yeah. Steinbrenner talking. The you story of my life. Missed it by this much. Hence my book, <laughs> Banging My Head Against the Wall, A Comedy Writer's Guide to Seeing Stars. But. So overall, it sounds like the experience with Larry, he seemed like a, a good guy to you. I know he, he the writing credits, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. He, but, had, a good, he had a good heart underneath. Uh, and uh, even years later, somebody uh, attended a Writers Guild uh, uh, conference where he spoke. And uh, he told me, my friend told me that Larry mentioned me because somebody uh, raised their hand and said the opposite was uh, their favorite episode. How did that come about? And he he mentioned me. Oh, uh, Andy Cowan uh, had a great idea, whatever. So, you know, I think he, he is a match uh, underneath uh, the curmudgeonly, uh, uh, you know, exterior. And it, it sounds like you had a relationship, um, I guess, with some of the higher ups, like Glenn Padnick at, at Castle Rock. Right. Did that, I don't know, did that help? Or do you think sometimes hurt um, any opportunities within the show? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it hurt. It, it, it was a, a needed um, buffer for me because I was frustrated and I sent him the scripts. I said, you, you tell me, well, am I nuts? And, and, he said, <laughs> and he said, I have, I have no idea why these, this is literally what he said. I have no idea why these uh, haven't landed on the air. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, it is what it is. And um, yeah, it was his show. And uh, uh, so I took what I could from the situation, just just being around it and 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 having the experience of writing as much as I did, uh, irrespective of whether it got on the air or not. I just was more uh, in tune with my sensibilities and my abilities uh, than ever. And um, you know, there were writers there, my buddy Bruce Kirschbaum, who 
who said uh, I was, you know, one of the best at story. Uh, so I counted that as a, uh, a uh, an appreci appreciated comment. Um, so it, 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 I mean, obviously, it was a thrill to be there, and I'm I'm thrilled I uh, got to uh, serve uh, time there. However, they, you little, got. Uh, I think that was, you got an Emmy snub that year. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Larry even thought the opposite was going to get a nod. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He even told me that. Uh, so, so, you know, obviously, like you just said, you, you learned an, an just invaluable experience of being there and, and the, just the discipline of writing that much on a show like that. It's lent, lent to, you know, things you've gone on to. You mentioned, you know, so, so what, where are you at now? You mentioned there's a project right now that you wanted to, to bring yeah, to yeah. attention. Yeah. Two quick postscripts to, to Seinfeld that I'm very proud of. One, uh, Jason Alexander wound up uh, uh, buying a pilot of mine uh, that he, he even said was, uh, he, he, was he said it was great uh, and in, in comparison to the, the pilot of Seinfeld because it was a different animal then. It was a languid pilot, uh, which was such a thrill to, have, to, to be attached to Jason and uh, we wound up selling it to Fox, but they didn't wind up going with it. And then after that, I took that script and uh, polished it a little bit, reworked it a little bit, uh, just to update it. And, and uh, Andy Ackerman loved oh, it yes. and tried to convince his bosses at Paramount to go with it. And they didn't get it. So <laughs> I was... I still felt uh, vindicated in, in, in a way by those experiences, even though they didn't go the distance. But the last year or more, I've been working in a more creative capacity than ever on a comedy therapy podcast that was due to drop in the fall. I signed with a big a guy who used to oversee Westwood One, Mike McVeigh, McVeigh, Benstown Media Podcast Network. And this is such a creative this is the project that I was meant to do because it's writing, it's performing, it's editing, it's reshaping, it's music, it's, uh, it's called the neurotic vaccine. I, oh, am I, like seeking, I am seeking immunity from neurosis. And my co-host is a therapist. We first started doing the show as up, speaking of the opposite, up and down guys. I was the down guy. I saw the glass half empty. He was the guy who saw it half full. We did sh shows on the web. Uh, I did it on public radio. We did a Westwood One pilot. They loved that. But I turned it into this show. And we have great guests. Uh, Jay Leno, uh, Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, Kathy Geisweit, creator of uh, Kathy Comet, Jerry Mathers and Tony Dow from Leave it, oh, to wow. Leave it to Beaver. I talk in therapy about, oh, I could never live up to, uh, uh, you know, the ideals of the Cleaver household. And then, then we have them on late. It is such it is it is a fantastic show and i can't wait for this thing to drop and uh have uh people connect with it because it is very seinfeldian in its own way of course with neurosis it sounds like it's right up right up seinfeld <laughs> fans alley yeah that's awesome man um you know you speaking of you know so you had i mentioned in the opening you know you wrote for cheers which is obviously an iconic show one of, one of the greatest shows of all time in our opinion as well and there was some some Seinfeld crossover there in, in your Cheers episode with um, with Brenda Strong was in your episode who later played Sue Ellen Mischke. Um, and you do also a Wheel of Fortune bit in, in, in one of your, your Cheers episodes. And then you run out to work with Pat Sajak, which is always, you know, we're big Wheel of Fortune fans over here, actually. Um, but um, 
You know, I'm just curious, you know, we've talked to other people who've been on Cheers. I don't know if we've talked to any writers from Cheers, though. I mean, how did that process work? Uh, you know, I'm sure it's much different than Seinfeld as far as getting getting a script, uh, you know, greenlit well, on Cheers. You know, can you kind of talk, talk yeah, to that a yeah. bit? Yeah, that was really ironic because um, uh, I actually count Cheers as the most satisfying experience in terms of uh connecting with the uh, the showrunners the charles brothers class acts uh the late uh david angel was our guardian angel he got us the gig i was working at the merv griffin show at the time um i had a writing partner at the time dave williger uh who was working there and we landed uh a, our spec script because everybody said don't write a spec script for a show uh that for the same show because they're going to be too nitpicky about it but we said the hell with it. You know, we love Cheers. We're going to do a spectrum, put it on the pile, had a uh, guy represent us as our pseudo agent, sat on the pile for six months. And then we hear, oh, by the way, uh, uh, they really liked your script. What? I mean, we, this was almost like an afterthought. And it le led to three uh, of three big um, Shelley Long era scripts uh, and a yep. fourth story. And uh I had Ted Danson as a guest on the Merv Griffin show as a, a talent coordinator. I also performed on the show the same week, our first Cheers premiered. And he hands me that script with everybody's signatures on it. And what a headline moment. And then That's he amazing. says, yeah, and then you open it and you see, okay, well, it's not all your stuff, but he says, ah, happens to everybody. But there was enough of our stuff in there, you know, for us to uh, continue to get gigs there. And ah, what a thrill to be at that iconic set and see those guys and the majesty of those four cameras moving and ah, it, it was a thrill. So I, I have fond, really fond memories to this day of Cheers, even though I, you know, I was ultimately just a freelance writer for the show. Very That's cool. Yeah. I mean, listen. The Ted Dance and Seinfeld connection as always too, which we always Yeah, love. yeah. And Larry <laughs> yeah. David and Curb, yeah. yeah. If it wasn't for Cheers, you know, Seinfeld may not have become what it became, let's be honest, right? That's right. Um, so it's funny, reading through your book, there were a couple of story ideas I thought were pretty funny. I just want to know if you could highlight any others you thought um, should have made it. For instance, when Elaine was going for a job, um, they came in with coffee, you know, one cream, okay. one sugar, one black. And Elaine raises her hands or responds, I'm black. Yeah. So they, th they thought she got the job because she was black and she didn't. So uh, I don't know. Oh, that, that was so that was season six, right? Uh, I pit, yeah, I pitched that uh, when I was there during season six. Yeah. So when like when you pitch those is I think to, like Tony asked earlier, is it just for an Elaine or are you putting that within the show? How, how does that how does that work? Yeah, I just pitched that as one of the four stories, although Larry at one time said you can pitch fewer stories, but uh, it pretty much became four stories, stories servicing all the characters. And that was my Elaine story. I always thought of that as an Elaine story. Just like uh, the George story, I always thought, uh, which dovetailed into a Jerry uh, story about George going to the movies and purposely taking a date to uh, a movie featuring an actor less good looking than he is. Because you're, tra <laughs> you're trapped in a theater for two hours <laughs> looking at uh, Tom Cruise. Uh, the first thing you look at is uh, George. Uh, you can't help but be let down. So he, he, that's, that's a good George story. That, yeah. That's so that's why he deduces that Jerry's date didn't go well. You, you took her to see. Why, why didn't you take it? So it's a funny, I, I love that story. Um, yeah, I love the one we're speaking of George where he tells his new girlfriend he's out, he's out of change at a wishing well 
and she calls him cheap when he walks and you, and you hear jingling coming from his pocket. So he goes out of his way to convince her he's anything but cheap. And that jingling was the car keys to the car he bought her, which is really Jerry's new car, which he knows, George knows, she's not going to accept this early in the relationship. She'd be too guilt-ridden. So I thought that was an interesting uh, turn of events. But yeah, they're you know, there's, it's like Sophie's Choice with me. There are tons of stories I like. <laughs> I know, and like Larry said, I bet you think your ideas are better than what we're seeing out there. But or as good, as good. As good. Yeah, and I did, I did. Well, I mean, listen, you, you, from Fusilli Jared and all these kind of concepts you mentioned, I mean, they're they're fantastic. And and you obviously led the the strategy behind the opposite with the whole concept. So, I mean, bravo and just... Oh, thank you. This is this has been a pleasure, Andy, and uh, really looking Likewise. forward to seeing the uh, the new podcast drop. It sounds amazing. Oh, uh, thank you. Yes, I will uh, happily uh, add you to my subscriber list and uh, <laughs> keep you guys posted. And again, uh, if you want to read the book, it's on Amazon. Banging my head against the wall: A Comedy Writer's Guide to Seeing Stars by Yours Truly, forward by Jay Leno. Yeah, it's a great book. We were just going to plug you. it, but you just did it. Wonderful. Oh, okay. I'd rather, I'd rather you plug it. <laughs> no, it's a great book. I mean, the insights, I mean, it's, it's just, it's great to hear the, you know, those stories and just from, from that perspective. And I don't know, I, I love, I love the, the, the twists and turns and nuances of, of a career and things like that and how you go from one thing to the next. I don't know. Those are really interesting stories. And a great, oh, a thanks, great, Tony. a great story about a, a fake name, Sandy Troy, who, uh, oh. So you're gonna have to read the you're gonna have to read the book on that one, folks. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yes. The uh, the ballsiest thing I've ever done. <laughs> awesome. Well, Andy, this is uh, this has been a pleasure. Thanks for thanks for all you've done in your career, and we're looking forward to see what, what happens next with you. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Thank Real you, pleasure. Take care. Thank you, man.